Here we go. Welcome in. It's time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you tonight, but full disclosure as always for our listeners. Pre-taping today's show, Ira, doing it a little earlier on Monday. This is not live, but great reason, as always. You're decked out in your heat gear, so I'm assuming you're going to be there tonight. Yeah, I like to leave early. You know, the traffic coming down, so I got to leave early. I like to get in the parking lot almost like two and a half hours before the game or whatever to make sure you're down there. And then I love going to the arena early. I love for the playoff games, getting in there early, see the players warm up. You know, when you're there, the first question you ask the security guards, have you seen Giannis? Is Giannis going to play? All those questions. And and like the last game, Holiday came out and shot. Just watch. I love watching their pregame routines. In terms of how they work out, what they do, how they shoot, get some really good pictures that way. There's absolutely nobody in that arena. Like if you go to Golden State <laughs> early before the game, it's pretty busy. Everyone wants to see Steph Curry worry about. But for the Heat game, it's like empty. But it's pretty cool to see that. And I just love for the playoff games clearly to come there and see the players work out. That has been one of your, um, and I don't want to call it a gripe, but one of your comments over the years that the three minutes before the tip off in Miami, it's still like 20% full. Yeah, well, the, during the last game, I'm sitting in a seat. Now I'm mid court, like four to 12 rows or 13. I was like 14 rows up, and the person next to me said, "Hey, there's." seats open were open next to me he says would you move over and when they come take the seat I'm like this is heat fans like I don't want to move over I know they're going to come they're going to show up whatever they're probably at some bar or whatever they're going to move over and I don't want to have when they come me sitting in the seat they're like could you move and the chair and like I don't want the confusion and what happens is that they actually moved right at tip off and then it messed me up and I missed my picture for the tip off so I was so mad at the person who told me to, to move down around <laughs> no, no definitely don't be moving in the future that's your seat uh, what have you been up to this week just the heat game just the, just the heat game on Saturday that was the only one I went to um, two great guests today, and we're descending on the draft now. And Ira, it seems like more and more I'm hearing that Texans may not be sold on a quarterback at the number two pick. Uh-huh. So we're bringing on two pros to, to give us their opinions on who's might or probably could be the top two picks in the draft. I wouldn't say that the, we're bringing Rodney Orr and Bill Rabinovitz from Alabama and Ohio State, both writers, to say, I'm trying to say is that when these names are picked in the draft, I'm gonna they're going to give more insight into this because I watch TV all. I think no one really knows what's going to happen until the people in the draft room themselves. But I think what you're going to get some insight into is who is CJ Stroud? Who is Bryce Young? Who is Will Anderson? Anderson. Who is Jackson Smith Njigba, the quote, the wide receiver of Ohio State? Uh, because I, Ohio, Alabama, and Ohio State, and even Georgia can control almost twelve of the thirty picks, thirty-two picks in the draft. Actually, there's thirty-one first-round picks because Miami lost their pick. So it'll be great to have uh, two writers who've, who've seen every single snap of Bryce Young and every single snap of CJ Stroud and all the practices and just get a, a, a you know their impression. It, it very well could be two Alabama players going one and two. That would be we're, amazing. We're hearing more stories that Texas, that the Texans do not want CJ Stroud, but it does look like uh, Bryce might be sealed up at the top. At least Vegas thinks so. We'll talk to them around 745. Don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere in the world online at Ira on Sports. See some of those pictures that he's been talking about. So Ira, a, a, a thorn in the, in the side of both of us um, for years now has been load management in the NBA. And now we're getting to the playoffs and guys aren't playing. What's the point of load management if you can only play two games in the playoffs before you need to go out with a sore knee anyway, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. And the stars, now look, Giannis doesn't really load management. He's out. Tyler Hero had an injury, but he had been load managing during the year. Victor Aldebo had a, had a terrible injury, but you know the star in terms of Joel Embiid now with a knee injury, John Moran without it with his hand problem, Kawhi Leonard, the, the poster child of load management, and Paul George. It's interesting. The, the Knicks were the ones who probably were the most anti-load management team. They're staying healthy. They played well. You know, they're, they're doing well. And I guess that my, my point is, going into the series, playing hard, as much as the Heat, I said, load management in the year, Jimmy Butler, those last, I guess, two weeks, played really hard, had to play every game to get in. And the teams that have, there were so many of those game one upset. The Clippers beat Phoenix, the Lakers beat Memphis, the Heat beat the Bucks, the Knicks beat the Cavaliers on the, on the road. Just going into the playoffs with momentum, winning that first game. Now... Phoenix was able to stop that momentum and stop and win, and win the games and go up 3-1 in the series. But the point is that when you load management during the whole year, it's hard to just gear up and go into the playoffs. And you save yourself, and it, it doesn't pay off. No, it, it's certainly looked that way, that they're like not in shape, you know, game shape, especially for the more physical aspect of the NBA playoffs. Speaking of that, you know, the NHL has a, a good reputation for dialing up the, the physicality come the playoffs. You know, the refs swallow the whistle. The NBA might be trying to steal their thunder. These have been some pretty uh, vicious, brutal fights. Well, I wouldn't say it's fights. I don't understand the Embiid goes on the ground and he kicks Claxton. Uh, Harden hits Royce O'Neal below the blow the belt. The, the, the idea about the blow the belt is unbelievable. I mean, and then you have Dylan Brooks uh, hitting LeBron below the belt, and then uh, Draymond Green didn't really hit Sabonis below the belt, but he stepped on him. So I mean, the point <laughs> is, it's it's these plays that are just it's just so weird that it's going on that you didn't really see in the past. Uh, you're like, you know, should they wear should they wear 
counterproductive cups like they do in boxing or like the catcher in baseball or something because it's just it, it just doesn't seem now none of these have they're not huge scrums where there's there's fights and t- all those things but the fact is is I was it is playing a major role now in terms of how this happening from all these big name players in the games just the two weeks first two weeks of action do you like that um, Dylan Brooks has kind of embraced being a heel I mean he this guy really he just wants to, to rub people the wrong way, it seems like. Is this something you're a fan of? Um, I, I just don't know about Memphis, and I don't know about Dylan Brooks. I mean, he's calling LeBron James old. And LeBron James has been through so many wars. I, I, you know, the comments from D- Dylan Brooks, I mean, and they, go, and they start the game out 35-9, to 9, and Dylan Brooks is not the type of player to call anybody out. They have won nothing, but they've trash-talked with everybody. They, they've been, you know, they, look, they got to back it up. I mean, Memphis is trash-talked with the Golden State Warriors. They now trash-talked with the Lakers. Almost every team they're having issues with. Um, it's time to, and then they start a game in a playoff game, 35 to 9. Everyone hears that John Morant scored all these 40 points there. But I mean, when you're down 35 to 9 to start the game, one of the worst quarters in the history of the NBA playoffs, you're not ready to play. So it, it, it's time to put up or shut up. Yeah, loudest team in the league with the pretty much the least pedigree uh, coming from Memphis. Let's start off with the East. Uh, Heat versus Bucks. Like you said, you'll be there tonight uh, for game four. Two to one in this series, Ira, and I think the Heat have to be pretty happy with, with where they're sitting at the moment. Ecstatic would be the, more like it. I mean, it was. This is a team that after that Hawks game, uh, Chris Madagruso was calling them. Oh, I think they should fire Spolstra. The team's not listening to him. They come back and they're down five to the Bulls late in the fourth quarter, win that game, and then they steal that first game. And Giannis gets hurt, and Hero gets hurt, and then the second game, total blowout. Okay, they don't have Giannis. They it's one thirty eight, one thirty two. Um, it was just a to- they they the Bucks shot twenty five of fifty from three at NBA all time record. Uh, Drew Holiday had twenty four points. Lopez twenty five points. By Portis is absolutely amazing at home. And they just have so many shooters. I mean, Ingles was five or six. Pat Conham was six for 10. Grayson Allis four to four for eight. Everybody on the team shoots threes. So you're like, okay, the series, they, they lost that first game. But it just shows if you're a good team, you cannot give away that first game. You cannot go down. Have, it should never be 1-1 at the beginning of the series. You've got to go up 2-0 and just cruise along. Sort of what the Celtics did. They went up 2-0. They lose a game at Atlanta. Then win the next one to go up 3-1. But that first game to lose, if you lose at home that first game, it just sets you sort of behind. And then um, the second, then the game I went to, I mean, Miami. 121, Milwaukee 99. Uh, this was the, the Heat were up by 29 points. The, all the great shooting. I mean, the Heat shot lights out. 54% for the field, 50% from three, 90% for the foul line. I'm watching the game and I'm like, I have never seen the Heat shoot like this. I mean, everyone, Jimmy Butler was draining. If Jimmy Butler is draining threes, and then he's unstoppable because they were letting him there hit the threes. I mean, he ended up with 30 points, was just tremendous. But you had, you know, with this is with, and Duncan Robinson, who hasn't been seen in the whole year. He's been a ghost. He came out there <laughs> and he, he had 20 points and he was draining three. And it wasn't like Milwaukee was terrible from threes. It's just that the, the Miami was just so much better, just better shooting. And, uh, you know, Butler, 12 for 19, uh, just amazing. And uh, But where Milwaukee was hurt was Ingles was one for six for threes. They didn't really get that. They, it was hard for them to come back into the into the game. And uh, it w- I just loved how Spolster was just at a bullet holzer, just sort of out him. Oh, it was so funny. Before the game, when I was there, uh, you know, an hour and a half before the game, sitting there, bullet holzer was like walking around the court. And <laughs> he doesn't, he's not dressed up. It's like you, he, looks like what's that fan doing out of the court because he does have this disheveled like look the hair is a mess everything walking around and I thought that was funny is that people don't really recognize well that's the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks but this was uh, you I liked everything I mean the fact that uh, Max Drews had big shots Kyle Martin came in and Lowry and what hurt them was that Victor Oladipo unfortunately at the end of the game I mean I was talking a video of that just you know towards patella tendon as lefty he has all these injuries have he's out for the playoffs I mean this is it's not career ending but it's getting close to me and it was so unfortunate because before the game I saw his son out there who I don't think is a few years old and he's like throwing the ball up trying to hit the rim and it was funny he was shooting, shooting shots against the whole uh you know he, he, he just looks like his father and had the enthusiasm of his father trying to just hit the rim with the basketball. I might be like three, four years old, but it's just, it's, he's such a great guy. Everyone loves Victor Oladipo and it's so sad he had the injury, but now without Hero and without Oladipo, you're like, they really are running out of players. Yeah, they are. And that is, and they, they have, they put Vincent and Lowry in the game. They're too small. And uh, Martin playing Struess. I mean, it's just, they they don't have enough players. And I'm amazed that the Bucks with Lopez, when you see Lopez against Bam Adebayo, Lopez, Brooke Lopez is so much bigger. And he's like, Adebayo is about the same size as Portis is. And the fact that the Bucks are not dominating on the board is just crazy. Now, I gotta think that Giannis is coming back for Game Three. I mean, it, it have, or for Game Four, I saw him on the sidelines. I sat right behind there. He was up and down, moving, high, high five, and he did not look like, like someone who was had back problems. Like I've had back problems. I'm not saying I'm Giannis, but and I haven't played in the NBA. But it did not like he jumped out of his bench when things. I, I just think they. they I, 
I would be shocked if he doesn't play. But if they don't dominate the Heat on the boards, then the Heat still have that chance to win. Now, they're favored by six points. So I think everything that Vegas thinks he's going to play, everyone thinks he's going to play, and everyone thinks they're going to win because the Heat are a six-point underdog at home up to one in a series. So we'll see what happens. But only five teams have pulled off the 8-1 upset. And the Heat were one of them. The Heat beat back uh, New York. Oh, New York actually uh, beat Miami uh, 3-2 in, in 1999. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Rodney Orr, the Tider Insider, and also Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus Post-Dispatch. Join us at about 7.45. As Ira said, you can follow him uh, anywhere at Ira on Sports. You didn't give the Knicks much credit going into this playoff series. I know we're, we're big fans of Cleveland, but I'm a Knicks fan first and foremost, and I think you have to be pretty happy right now if you're a New York Knicks fan. Um, amazing. I have to say, this is the one series that I'm shocked in. I think that J.B. Bickerstaff, the coach of the Cavaliers, I think there has to be a question. This could be a Doug Collins-type situation where the Bulls under Jordan, they fired, you know, they, they were a good team, and then they fired Doug Collins and brought Phil Jackson in. I don't know if J.B. Bickerstaff is the right coach for this. He's getting completely out-coached by Tibbereau for the Knicks. And uh, Donovan Mitchell... Wow. I mean, it's not that Donovan Mitchell at Utah had playoff performances where he averaged 36 points a game and 32 points a game. He has been one of the greatest playoff performers in the last 10 years, and he has been terrible. I mean, he averages 22 points a game. He averaged 28 during the year. And Giannis goes, Eric Mobley, the star uh, forward for the Cavaliers, he goes, he's better. He could be better than me. Mobley has been totally non-existent in this entire series. And the Knicks, I mean, this is one of the things where they stole that game one. Cleveland came back in game two and dominated them. That's where... Uh, Gar uh, Darius Garland was amazing, 32 points. Karis LeVert played well. They out-rebounded them. I'm like, okay, this is after game two. I'm like, that's how the series is going to go. They're going to, they're they're comfortable. They're going to at least, you know, I thought they would close out. I really thought that they would, that was one, and that this would be their series. They go back to New York, and that game three was one of the ugliest games. I mean, the Cavs scored 79 points, mm -hmm. which the first time all year someone. No team had scored less than 80 points this entire NBA season which is crazy to think about. The Knicks led by 27 in the fourth. Garland, who had the terrible game one and a good game two, still in game three, was four for 21, one for seven, 10 points. Mitchell was 22 points, didn't do anything. And it was really just, I mean, if you look at the Knicks, it's Josh Hart, it's just every big rebound he gets. I mean, they traded, they got a, a trade from Portland in the middle of the year. What a pickup. He's been tremendous. He Brunson has culture. been tremendous. And, and Julius Randle, who's their supposed star, has been horrendous. Can you imagine? <laughs> they're up 3-1 in the series, and their star is was just terrible in game three. Then we go to game four and Mitchell, this was a, a complete disaster. He was 5 for 18, 0 for 4 and 3, 11 points. Here's a guy who averages 32, 38. Like, you expect him to say, Donovan Mitchell, you got to score 40 for us to win. You expect that. He was terrible. Garland was better, but not that great. And Mobley, 12 points and 7 rebounds. I, one of the worst performances in, in the world, I, I could imagine. Hardenstein is out-rebounding him. Mitchell Robinson is out-rebounding him. This, the Cavaliers, Jared Allen had like 5 rebounds. He's one of the top rebounds in the league. Like, I have no idea what is happening <laughs> with the Cavaliers. They shot six for 23 from three, 26%. And Julius Randle was so awful. He had it seven points and he was pulled in the fourth and wasn't even in the game. Not for injury. People say, well, did he get hurt? No, they just didn't play him. He wasn't good enough to play in the game. And they still end up winning the game. And it was, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, it was close there in the fourth quarter, but they won by nine. I, the Cavaliers... I just don't know. And now, you know, at least the only thing with the Cavaliers is that unlike the Clippers, they're down 3-1 going home, so they get to win that game and then have to come back. They still have two of the final three at home, whereas it's tougher when you have, lose those two. But to be down 3-1 in this series and to play as poorly as they have and to give the Knicks so much confidence and Brunson has been playing so well, I just, it's just, it's amazing. When people thought Donovan Mitchell was going to go to the Knicks, oh, the Knicks doesn't, don't get Donovan Mitchell, they don't make the trade, they didn't get Donovan Mitchell, this is terrible, and Brunson is just playing great. I mean, this, it shows you Villanova is just tremendous. <laughs> These Villanova players because, you know, hard play, uh, Brunson, they're all, they're all Villanova players. When's the last time you could say the Knicks made some great personnel moves? I mean, maybe Allen Houston. I mean, like to bring in Brunson, who people thought this guy's never going to make it in New York to, to get Josh Hart for basically nothing. Things look up for the Knicks, at least the way they're, they're handling their players. And to make players. their moves and to have the right, not fire Tibero when the Tibero, when they thought they should fire him. And, and to, because they said, oh, he's burning the players out. He's, he's working, he's playing them too hard. Everything is clicking. And I think not making, not giving up a lot of players to bring in other players. But I just think Cleveland is completely underperforming. They have a great team. Garland, Lavert, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen. This is a great core of teams. They got to play better than this. I mean, I haven't told, people are busting on me for making this mistake. And I'm watching this game and I'm like, what is this Cleveland team doing? This is total underperforming. Every single one of their players is not playing up to their abilities, and that has to then go right back to the coach. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel, Mike Balsamo on social media, everywhere, at Ira on Sports. So if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, of course you're excited, you know, you're, you're moving on, but you're thinking... Pump the 
breaks here a little bit if you're you know trying getting high on the 76ers. I mean, they got to buy. I mean, the Nets are a nice team, and I love Miles Bridges. I love Cam Johnson, Spencer, Dibley, and Claxton, but this is where the Heat. Now, this is where I was frustrated for the Heat because I'm like, I thought the Sixers were definitely vulnerable, and they never got that sixth seed, and they had a month to get it, and the, and the Nets played just well enough after the Durant and Kyrie trades to hang in there. But And they have played well against the Sixers. I mean, they try. They're in the games. These aren't total blowouts. But Joel Embiid, he's averaging 20 points for the series. He didn't even play game four because he was injured with his knee, and there's saying he's not even going to be ready for the next series. He had he averaged 33 for the season. He's going to be the MVP of the league. He looked, he looked slow. He looked terrible. James Harden looks like he's 50. I mean, James Harden has been shooting 34%. It's just unbelievable. He got ejected in Game 3 for punching Royce O'Neal below the belt. And in Game 4, when they really needed him, it's like, okay, there's no Embiid. Harden, you're going to have to come in. He was 4 for 18 for 17 points. Nas Reed. Nas Reed, <laughs> Embiid's backup at 10 points and 15 rebounds. He was the star of the game. I'm like, when I look at this, I'm like, oh, the big winners of the Boston Celtics. If the Boston, we're going to talk to them about a second, it's like, they have to play the Sixers next. Like, I'm like, this is going to be a sweep. I can't see the Sixers. This Sixers team, they're playing terrible and they're awful. And boy, if for the Boston Celtics, if the Miami Heat can upset Milwaukee and win those two more games and have Milwaukee and New York, all Boston has to do is go and, and, and beat uh, and beat the Sixers and then Miami or New York and they're in the NBA Finals and that's amazing for them. No, yeah, everything's lining up for Boston. We, we can talk about that now. Like you said, it's really important to win those two. You know, when you're the, the, the favored seed, you got to win those two games at home. Because if you do go on the road, you know, in, in game three and, and you have a hiccup like they did against Atlanta, it's really not the end of the world. But Boston's in the driver's seat now. I love this Boston team. First of all, Tatum and Brown, it's Brown, the, the game last game, took his mask off. He was one for seven. He takes the mask off and now, you know, he's scoring. I, I've been saying this the whole time of the show. I, I really think they're one and ones. I don't think there's one and one A. I think Brown and Tatum are both elite, elite players, the two best players. I would say, arguably, they're better than Durant and Booker. Like, I mean, they're the best twosome. But then you add Marcus Smart, Derek White as guards uh, there, that, and then to have Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench as a guard. So you have that three-guard rotation with your two superstars, and then you have Al Horford as center and Robert Williams. You, it's the perfect quality team. Robert Williams coming off the bench, and they're healthy. They haven't been healthy in years past. Like, this team is gearing up. This just feels like Boston Celtics are going to win the World Championship this year because they just seem that as long as they stay healthy, and they're playing a Boston an Atlanta team who I liked. I thought Atlanta I saw them against the, the Heat, and Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach, but uh, it was like one of these situations where um, you know Atlanta, they won the two games at home, game three, Atlanta, they rebounded well, 48-29, to 29. we saw that, what happened to them against uh, the, the Heat, when they were able to get those huge rebounding games, uh, and Trey Young played well that game, 32 points, Dewante Murray, 25 points, but it's 2-1, we, the Celtics last night, I'm watching the game at 7.30 at night. This is the chance. You know, Atlanta's going to try to make this a series. Atlanta and Boston goes and, and makes that way. Brown had 31. Tatum had 31. Smart, 19. White, 18. Brogdon, 14. Just one of those perfect type of games. And even though Trey Young has picked it up and played well, it's just not been enough. And I saw this one stat, which I complete. When Brown and Tatum score 30 points, they, are, they win 96% of their games. The other two stars, Jordan and Pippen, when they score 30 points, only 90%. And Kobe and Shaq, 85%. That's so crazy. Just, that's amazing. Those three are the three best. And they put West and Elgin Baylor, too, in that. And that just shows me, I mean, it's just, I think this team is just gearing. And I just really, really, I loved, I, I just thought that it was a big win last night for them to go up 3-1. They're going to go back to Boston and close it out this week and get ready to play for the Sixers in, starting the weekend. Let's move on to the West now. It's Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. Everyone thought Golden State and Sacramento would be the most exciting series in the first round. Probably right on that front. But you have strong opinions on this series. You want to talk about, you know, the narr the national narrative might be a little different than the way you feel. Well, I think this is, this is one of the games where, like, what's so interesting about this was, first of all, the narrative is that the Kings are the inexperienced team and that the, the Warriors are the experienced team. And that it's gonna, the Kings are not gonna be able to hang with the Warriors because the Warriors have won all these titles, all experience. But if you look at how these games are playing out, the Warriors are playing like the inexperienced team. Mm -hmm. Steph Curry made a mistake last night. He is being glossed over. Chris Webber should just, I, 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 I just, where are the apologies to Chris Webber? Chris Webber, when he was 19 years old in the National Championship game, and I remember where I was when I watched this game. I was at my girlfriend's house in Englewood, New Jersey, trying to, and, and I know I couldn't, they wanted us to leave the house because my parents 
parents had to go to sleep. It was a Monday night, and I'm like, I was nervous that Weber, they're down two, would score a bucket, and they would go to overtime. I don't know, I didn't have a, we had no phone, internet. I don't know how I was going to watch the game. Like, this is going to be a disaster. I'm getting yelled at. And Weber comes down and calls a timeout when there's no timeouts left, gives North Carolina Donald Williams, one of the greatest NCAA portals I've ever seen, sinks a bunch of foul shots, gets the ball, game over. Weber has to live with that the rest of his life. Weber, who we watch on TV, is a very intelligent person. Oh, he's stupid. He made a stupid play. He calls a timeout. Steph Curry is 33, 30 years old. He's won two MVPs. He's finals MVP. All this other stuff. He calls it. They're up by five with 40 seconds to go. And he calls a timeout when there's no timeouts. Steve Curry said, well, there was a challenge. Who, what excuses? You have no timeouts. If you go to the NBA game, the timeout thing is on the scoreboard. The whole world knows how many timeouts you left. It's right there. How does Steph Curry make a mistake like that? And then at the end of the game, he rushes a shot. I, I just think that each to me, you know, I, I think Steph Curry's greatest. I think he's tremendous. But I see and Draymond Green's the one who gets thrown out of the game. He's the one who gets thrown out. Sabonis, oh, he baited Draymond to get thrown out. Well, wait, Sabonis is, is, is a younger player by like seven years to, to, to Draymond Green. He somehow is the, like, again, the narrative is that Sacramento is so inexperienced and the Warriors are so experienced. The Warriors are playing like an experienced team. It, it has been so far, but we are tied regardless. Talk about how he got here because, like I said, some this was crazy going into the series. A lot of people thought, oh, Golden State's going to crush Sacramento. Then you have people saying Sacramento's a better team. They're they're going to win to the higher seed. We're, we're all tied up at two, though. Yeah, I mean, the game two was the key game when Sacramento uh, beat the Warriors 114-106. And this is the whole Draymond Green, and we didn't really address, we didn't, this came after our show last week, but when Draymond Green steps on Sabonis and then got thrown out of the game and then suspended the next game, and there was a big debate, like, is he going to be suspended? Is he not going to be suspended? All those things. I was surprised that they suspended him. Me but too. I, but I was there at the 2016 NBA Finals when I, I'm sitting there and I said, you've got to take Draymond out of the game. They, they were about to go up 3-1. And I said, Deladova's going to come over there and bait him. And LeBron looks at Deladova and says, I'll handle that. And LeBron <laughs> goes on the ground and Draymond and they get tied up and Draymond kicks LeBron. And that was really, it was the it was the technical foul that led to that suspension of that. And that was so, but you know, when you when they when they said his past history, and I think also when he was, when, after he got stepped on Sabonis and he's there baiting the crowd and yelling at the crowd. Sabonis is still laying on the ground and the commissioner is there and I just thought that, you know, the whole DeMar Hamlin situation, like if if in the in the Bills cheat in the Bengals game, if Hamlin is injured on the ground and the Bengals were jumping at, you know, one of the players was was making a big scene about it while he's laying on the ground, if it was I think there was an issue with that where Draymond's behavior was not it was just over the top, and they were going to suspend him the game. But, you know, Golden State, they come back to game three, and go as I expected, Golden State goes back and wins. They, they were motivated. They play well at home. Jordan Poole is a different player. At home, he's great. At the road, he's terrible. And he played well. And, uh, and you know, this whole series, like, again, I, I don't think I've mentioned De'Aaron Fox. People who don't stay up till 1 in the morning and watch the Sacramento Kings don't realize how good De'Aaron Fox is. He's better than John Morant. He is one of the best two or three guards in the league. He's tremendous. I've seen it all year long. The trade they made when they traded Halliburton to the Pacers and brought Sabonis is giving them that Kobe Shaq, the big man and the guard. It's a perfect fit. They have Malik Monk, who is a great person off the bench and who's shooting fantastic. They have Harrison Barnes, an older veteran. They are a team. And Mike Brown, the other factor of this, Mike Brown has been the assistant coach, I think a half a dozen years for the Golden State Warriors. He knows the Golden State Warriors. He knows how they play. And he can. he's a he's a great leader for the team. And they have a great home court advantage. But Golden State wins 2-1. And then you have the game last night, which was just tremendous. Back and forth, back and forth. Clay had 28 points. Poole had 22. Wiggins at 18, and finally Keegan Murray, who has not played well this series for Kings, had 23. But again, it was 124-121. Green blocks a bonus shot, and then 126-121. Fox misses a shot. Curry misses, and then with 42 seconds, he calls that timeout, and that they then they get a fifth, uh, free throw, and then Fox hits the three, and it's down by one. Curry rushes a shot, misses the shot, and then you have the last play of the game, and everyone's yelling at Sacramento should have had cleared out for Fox. They ran a play. The green was on Fox. Curry came over. It was almost like Curry and Green doubled Fox. They threw it to Harrison Barnes, and he missed a wide-open three. Otherwise, they'd be up 3-1 in that series. But this is this is a tremendous series. Sacramento is great. And I'll tell you what, the, anyone who says the Warriors are going to win, the Warriors, they play with fire. Like, they were down 2-1 to Boston. They look bad at times. They come back and win. I'll give them that credit. They had that experience. But, boy, they better clean things up because – there's no margin of error against Sacramento. Like, they better be careful because I think that, you know, unlike Boston, who I think let them off the hook in the championship game last year, I don't think Sacramento will. I think Sacramento, De'Aaron Fox is going to play. Like, this is going to be tough, and, and they have trouble winning on the road. So I'm nervous. I, I think the Warriors are going to win the series, but this is going to be, this is, I can't wait for the final three games. So going to Phoenix and, and, and the Clippers, once Kevin Durant was acquired, the entire, you know, league shifted in opinion. And everyone's like, well, the Suns are the team to beat now, obviously. Game one comes out. Kawhi is fantastic, and all of a sudden, the narrative completely shifts. Now it's, 
the Clippers might be the team to beat if Kawhi's going to take this, you know, take the series on his back, and then all of a sudden, no Kawhi. <laughs> Well, game two, uh, the, this is in Phoenix. Phoenix came back in one game, two, 123-109. Kawhi was, uh, was amazing in that game also. He had 31 points. And then Westbrook had 28. And like Westbrook, who should be able to say, I don't think there's a place for him in the league. I don't think he can play in the league anymore. His time is gone. He looks amazing. Like maybe it's the Lakers didn't work with him the yeah. right way, which I think I've always liked Westbrook. Uh, Booker that took over this game. And Booker's actually been much better the the story about the series is Devin Booker is the better player than Kevin Durant. Now, they're both great, but the 1 and the 1A is clearly never got 38 points and 9 assists to Durant's 25, and uh, 8 and had some key shots. But they, they won the game, so you expect as a Clippers fan, and then you're ready for, okay, it's 1-1, Clippers exactly where they want them. It's like perfect. They come back to L.A., and what happens? No Kawhi Leonard. For what? We didn't see him injured. There was no injury. There was no nothing. They remember, they don't have Paul George all, already. And he, there's no Kawhi Leonard because his, in, his knee hurts. Like, this is load management. Knee like, soreness. this is crazy. He, this mirage. I'm calling it a mirage. We haven't seen him all year. He comes in, plays two games, plays great. Two, one of the best players, in, maybe the best player in the playoffs for two games and then disappears again. And then Booker, was, you know, in this game, Booker was amazing, scoring 45 points. Durant had 28 points. And, uh, but, you know, Westbrook, the, the Clippers, I give them credit. They tried. Westbrook had 30 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Nor Norman Powell had, had 42 points. The one thing about the Clippers is with Terrence Mann, Norman Powell, Bones Highland, they have Zubak and Plumlee. They have a great team. They have depth. They just need their star. They need Leonard or, or George, and they might win the series. They lose that game. And then game four, they no Kawhi again. He doesn't show up. Westbrook again another big game, 37 points. But Booker and Durant both scored 30. But it was like, you know, it's just they have battled in these games. Like those games in three and four were, were tight, and they just missed Kawhi in those games. They're down 3-1 going back to Phoenix. I mean, it's hard to say how I can think the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard are going to go back to Phoenix and win this game. And there's no indication that Kawhi is going to play again. I just, this whole thing is that they were resting Kawhi for the playoffs. He plays great. You're like, I was shocked. And then he just disappears after that. Just two games. That's all we got. Two games. It's insane. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here as well. We'll get to uh, Rodney Orr from the Tider Insider and Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Post-Dispatch here in just a couple of minutes. Lakers and Grizzlies, Ira. A lot of people thought the Grizzlies were just going to crush the Lakers in this series. And so far, we haven't seen that as the Lakers have a uh, slight lead here. This has been the weirdest. You know, Lakers steal that game one. Then they go to game two, and John Morant's not playing. But unlike Kawhi, I, I honestly think I, there's a part of me that the way, and I know that he, he looked great in game three. John Morant wants to have the ball in his hands. Everything stops. This Memphis team goes runs, 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 runs. And when Tyus Jones is in the game, they like to run, 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 run. And the Lakers, Anthony Davis doesn't want to run, run, run. LeBron doesn't want to run, run, run the whole game. And I think they're a better, as much as this crazy seems crazy, they are a better team when Jaws out of the game. So I like so everyone says, oh, game two, I think the Lakers are gonna go up two. I go, I don't know about that. Tyus Jones was 10 points, eight assists. Nothing great. But the fact is they were up by 20 points. Anthony Davis only had 13 points and seven rebounds. One of the reasons he was so bad is because he doesn't want to run the whole game. He doesn't want to go up and down, run up, run. And that's what Memphis did. So then then they come back. You have Dylan Brooks say, so it's 1-1 in the series. Dylan Brooks calls LeBron old. He says, have him not talk to me until he scores 40, all this other stuff. And then what happens to start the series? I was at the Heat game. I come over to the a bar across the across in Bayside and the I missed the first quarter, 35-9. I'm like, whoa, is that TV? Like, can you change the... Yeah, I switched that, it on. I was like, wait a minute. Is, is there, there something, something wrong? wrong with that TV? Is there like, is, am I missing? Like, is, uh, is the graphics wrong? Is there a mistake? Is it 35 29 like what happened and then I know Memphis came back and they had these runs and everything like that but it's like wow I mean it's just what now we're in a series where where the Lakers are up 2-1 they're you know they're going to play tonight so this is gonna be great basketball you got the heat you know it's heat ready to go up 3-1 and you have the Lakers going up you know the two road teams the underseeds trying to come up so it's going to be super exciting but I'm nervous the Lakers as great a victory as they had they could not just coast to the game they could even rest LeBron like was hoping they could get this huge lead keep it the whole game and the Lakers only shot seven for 28 from three but I still, look, nobody can root for Memphis. Like, they are a team you just cannot root for, the trash talking. And then, like, Dylan Brooks punches LeBron. Now, he's saying it was like when LeBron went down at the beginning of the third quarter and he's lying on the ground, I said, oh, series over, LeBron's career's over. It looked like he tore his groin. He's holding it. I didn't realize he got hit below the belt until they re-showed it mm -hmm. that way. And then they throw Brooks out of the game. Now, LeBron, great acting, whatever. But, hey, Dylan, you know, like, stay in the game. You're, you're going to get those calls against you. You keep talking. These refs hear what you say. You talk, talk, talk. You talk during the game, before the game, after the game. This is what's going to happen. And and, you know that, so this will be cool. This is this is going to be great to see what happens. And if any team's going to start unraveling, like LeBron has played mind games against all these great players. I mean, LeBron, if there's any person that understands mind games, it's LeBron. You're 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 poking the bear. So I don't mind poking the bear. I'm like, you are poking the bear, and I just, I think they should just shut up. I think Memphis should shut up and play basketball. Really. No, I, I agree with you. Let's move on to the series that nobody really cares about: <laughs> Denver and Minnesota. 
Minnesota at least, you know, pulled out an OT win last night to keep uh, from being the swept. The funniest thing about this series is that Denver's been playing great. Jokic is, they're, they're cruising along. I am shocked that, that Minnesota is not putting up a much, much more of a fight. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, he looks great that he disappears. Uh, it's just Anthony, this is emergence for Anthony Edwards, the star that I didn't think was going to be that great in the NBA, but who's now scored three straight 30 point games. And then last night, I thought the series might have been over because uh, Minnesota was up 12 with like a minute and a half, two minutes to go, and Denver tied it. It goes to overtime and they lose. But at halftime of the game, they we're talking, Charles Barkley and Shaq were talking, and Charles like, this game is so boring. I watched hockey the entire first half. Now he's getting paid multi-million dollars <laughs> to talk about the game. He goes, I didn't really watch the first half at all. I was too busy watching the hockey game. So that's so it's it's 3-1 Denver. This series is over. They're going to go back to Denver. Denver's going to win this series. But the point is, I, from this perspective, is I think Denver will be able to, uh, the fact that they, they're healthy, and Jamal Murray, their star guard, as, as the series, he just seems like he gets healthier and healthier and healthier. And if by three weeks from now, he's healthy and playing super great. Remember, he tore his AC last year and was or the year before last almost and is playing absolutely out of playing great so you know Denver is this is but this series is, is finished Minnesota is not winning uh, four in a row no I highly highly doubt that Ira on sports true oldies channel on Mike Balsamo you mentioned the NHL um, let, let's switch to that one of my takeaways especially in the east so far Ira has to kind of be the lack of parity typically it's hard to sweep teams it's hard to win four to one in the NHL the eight seed to the one seed, usually not that big of a difference. But we've seen our poor Florida Panthers don't look like they have much fight outside of uh, outside of game two. And the Islanders, which I thought were going to be a tough battle for Carolina, that's not coming through either. And then you had everyone thinks that the you know the New Jersey Devils are just going to crush the Rangers, and it's been the opposite there. But I'm really surprised that we haven't seen more you know two to twos and stuff like that at, at the moment. Well, I mean Boston's up three one over Florida. Uh, Florida just you know they got the momentum by taking the one game in Boston, and you're so excited excited for that. But you know one of these teams like you know Boston comes back, wins game three, and then yesterday just the domination uh, on Florida. I mean Florida's one for eleven in the power play in the series. Mm-hmm. So if they're not going to score in the power play, you're going to lose this game. So there's no chance. But I'm interested by the Tampa Bay-Toronto game, partly because I would like to have to go to games. Like, I love driving to Tampa or Florida for hockey. So I was hoping that they were going to hang around in theirs. And they're down 2-1. I felt Toronto, you know, in that one game that Tampa Bay won, Toronto knocked out two of Tampa Bay's defensemen, the best defensemen and injury. And some of these cheap shots, you know, where it's like, okay, they got a, a major penalty. But it might be worth it because Tampa, the injuries to Tampa Bay are catching up to them. Going to the West... I kind of said it's a two-horse race here with Colorado and Edmonton, and both of them have kind of disappointed me so far. Edmonton, though, pulled you know um, pulled a rabbit out of a hat last night with, with an amazing comeback. But both of these teams that should be you know locked up in the Western Conference Finals are both slipping to, to inferior opponents. Well, Edmonton was down 3-0. They hadn't come. It's like 18 times the last 18 times they've never come back from a 3-0 deficit in the game. They came back and they won. They were down 2-1. There was more desperation. They're down 2-1. They're down 3-0 in the game, and they pull that out and win it in overtime. And that was to make it 2-2 in that series. But that's a fun series to watch in terms of watching you know Connor McDavid go around. But you're right about Colorado. Colorado, uh, you know, the defending champions, you know, they're down 2-1 to Seattle, uh, an expansion team. It just It's a weird situation. You want, you're, you're waiting for Colorado just to get their, you know, mojo back and going. Ira on Sports, Drew Oldie's channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. NFL draft time is here, Ira. I love the draft, and we're going to kick it off on Thursday. And I really think there's going to be a lot more surprises than people think. If, if you look in Vegas, they think there might be four quarterbacks taken in the first four picks. I don't think that's going to happen. I think one of these guys might fall out of the first round or at least fall to like the, the, the last five, six picks. Where do we stand here with the draft? We'll talk to uh, Bill Rabinowitz and Rodney Orr in just a second, but how do you feel? Well, I love the, N- the NFL draft also because I am a humongous fan of college football. I watch college football all day Saturday, so I see these players play. There are some people that I think are just like, they love the NFL, and they're like, who are these college? Who is Bryce Young? I, like, I've seen Bryce Young play almost every game he's played from beginning to start. CJ Stroud, the same thing. So I've watched these players, and then I'm intrigued as I'm watching them as a college player. I'm intrigued to watch how they would do as a pro. So I'm more familiar with Will Levis. I know Anthony Richardson. Like, I know these players, whereas a lot of NFL people, and I think people commenting on TV, on ESPN, like, they admit, oh, I don't watch the college football at all. Well, I watch it in live time. <laughs> and I think when you watch, they say, I watch this on tape, I watch that on tape. Everybody watches everything on tape. I think when you watch a game in live time, you get a different perspective of the game than just looking at stats at the end of the game or when you look at cut out of films. I think when you're watching it live, you get a feel and a sense. So I think that's what's so, I love college football. But everyone thinks Bryce Young is going to be first to Carolina. Um, but the question now is number two. Houston has that pick. Everyone thought it was going to be C. 
C.J. Stroud, but they're like, you know, I think there's some issue that his agent is the same agent that Deshaun Watson had. That could be a question. Whether Houston likes C.J. Stroud or doesn't want C.J. Stroud, will they go defensive? So I think that's where all these issues are. I love C.J. Stroud. I think by far he is the best quarterback in the draft. I cannot watch up talk to Bill Rubinitz and, you know, I say this to him, but I have seen him play. He has an accurate arm. If you look at Justin Fields and the story is, he has a much better arm than Justin Fields. He's much more accurate. He's had much more success. Like, I think he's a great quarterback. He's going to be a superstar in the league. It's a no-brainer, number one. And I think, you know, I think he's better than Bryce Young. I think I'd pick C.J. Stroud. So whatever he drops to. But if I'm C.J. Stroud, do not get depressed. Do not get upset. Don't care if you... The money difference is so negligible between the uh, it's millions, you know, whatever. But the point is, fall to the right situation. I wouldn't want to go to Houston. Yeah, I would be say, I don't want to go. Like, if he falls, what if he fell to Detroit? Wouldn't that be great with all the young players they have and all the talent they have falling to there? That'd be great. What about Las Vegas? Do you throw Devontae Adams? Like, there are... I would rather, like, when Ben Rottenberger was not drafted early, he was like, I'm so devastated off the Giants. He goes to the Steelers. It was perfectly fit for him. Like, I think if I'm a quarterback, go to where it's better. You're going to... C. Stroud's going to be in one of the top 10 picks. The question is, go to the team that's the right pick. Houston is clearly dysfunctional. It's a terrible team. That, don't go there. Like, I would not be upset. It's like, oh, C. Stroud's going to be devastated. He shouldn't be devastated. The person going to Houston should be devastated that they're going there to play. No, it... it Situation really does mean everything. Even going to the Colts, you know, that's going to be a much better situation with a, a a team that's established and you know has a good roster. Whereas you can just go to be thrown to the wolves in in um, in Houston. I do think there there's momentum gaining for the defensive player instead of him because I think with D'Amico Ryan's, they're saying, listen, we just brought in a defensive coach from San Francisco. Why not give him tools? We can maybe still get one of these quarterbacks at eleven. They have two picks in the top eleven. They could potentially get a Will Levis or, or a um, Anthony Richardson if they wanted to there. I think what you're saying is correct. I think people who just assumed that it was going to be a quarterback, I think that the assumption that it was going to be a quarterback was as much as if they're not sold on C.J. Stroud, then whatever. But I, I think, but I agree with you. I think with a defense, their coach, you have to look at who your coach is. And look, they were winning at, at San Francisco with Brock Purdy as their uh, as their quarterback and drafted in the seventh round. So the point is, he comes from the belief that let's you know have the strong defense and then whatever, have a defensive star like Joey Bosa, we'll, we'll win that way. And then you have Arizona number three, you're going to think they're going to go defense because they already have Kyler Murray. And they went to his, they unveiled a statue for Kyler Murray in Oklahoma and the whole team is in a draft prep was like in Oklahoma at the statue unveiling. And then Indianapolis, you got to think Indianapolis at four would go to quarterback, whether it's Will Levis or Richardson or Stroud drop there. And then Seattle, Jalen, you know, looking defense there. They really, but you know what? I don't know. If Stroud drops there, if Richardson, it, Seattle with Richardson makes sort of sense because you have Geno Smith, but he's for a couple years. Richardson mm. is someone from Florida that you would think maybe a year or two and develop that way. So I'm not sold that, you know. I, Seattle's really a hinging point in this draft for sure. This is Iron Sports, Trulli's channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Got uh, just a couple of minutes here until we have to get to Rodney Orr and Bill Rabinowitz. Where else do you stand here with the draft as we are just uh, three days away from one of the most exciting days of the year for me? Yeah, I mean, I think there. it's just, I think where Anthony Richardson of Florida goes, I think that's with all the talent. He's had 13 games, 50% completion. I think Richardson and Will Levis are just all over the board in terms of what teams take him. And the question is, you know, will Tennessee, you know, make a quarterback, somebody that you think of Ryan Tino as a quarterback, will they bring someone young in? Even Detroit, who feel like they're set with Jared Goff. I mean, if one of these quarterbacks, if they like one of these quarterbacks, will they pick them? I mean, that's what the excitement of that, of the whole draft is, I think, is the quarterbacks. I mean, we had... Uh, 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 the Walker Walter Walter uh, Trebinsky on last week, and he thinks Levis is going to drop all the way to Tampa at 19. I could see it. That would be you know amazing. And then at the back end of the draft, and we love talking fantasy all the time. But if when that's when some of these you know if Jabir Gibbs to the Alabama goes, what team? If, say he goes to Buffalo. Wow, I mean he's going to be a first it's round first round pick. <laughs> pick. Yeah. And I mean that's what they say. But and where some of these wide receivers? I mean the Ravens look like they're going to take the Zay Flowers of Boston College. Where Quinton Johnson, the star wide receiver for TCU, goes from a fantasy perspective. And, and, you know, from the Steeler perspective, I like to see, I mean, you talk about needs and where people move. But I think the question is really where these quarterbacks are going and the four quarterbacks. And, of course, I've been saying from day one, I think Hendon Hooker is going to be the best quarterback. He's 25, so he's older. But of all the quarterbacks I saw, I think he's even better than C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. But he's going to drop and clearly. But I think he's going to be a first-round pick. I think I think you're going to – you don't think that they're all going to be in the first round. But I, I, I'm thinking that once you get past, like, pick eight – it's not going to be till pick 25. You know, the, the, unless someone trades up, I could just see them falling. I could see Anthony Richardson falling to the second round just because teams don't know, you know, 
if if you're an established team and you have a quarterback, you're not you know drafting a, a project. So and like with Detroit, for me, they have to go defense. This team scores points; they can't stop anybody. So like for, for me, I could just see that happening, and and these guys just just slipping by the wayside. Well, one of the needs of a quarterback is the highest paid position. Teams like to draft the first round. You'll see. Don't be surprised. Don't at the thirtieth, twenty ninth, and thirty thirty first. Don't. Go get away from the TV set because at the end of the draft, because you get that extra fifth-year option on the quarterback, uh, on a player. So a lot of teams, that's why Lamar Jackson was drafted right at the end of that first round. So I wouldn't be surprised if I, if Levis is dropped and Richardson's dropped. They are not getting out of the first round. And I see where Hooker could get drafted. Or a team would even just trade up to get that one pick. Let's go to Rodney Orr and Bill Rabinowitz here on Iron Sports. So excited to have back on Iron Sports, Rodney Orr of the Tider Insider. Uh Rodney, the, the first question I have, I brought you on because you are the Alabama expert and Bryce Young under everybody's <laughs> thinks it's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Tell us a little about Bryce Young when he gets picked. Tell us more than maybe something we don't know from just watching college football the last couple of years. Uh, I would say of all the players that have come through Alabama, and I've been you know, following it many, many years, but covering it firsthand for 27 years, uh, that, that Tua... And, and Bryce are probably uh, the two or certainly two of the most uh, genuine kids that have ever come through this program. Um, you know, I, I just think that uh, he, he what, a, what a person he is. Everything you see, uh, the way he carries himself, uh, all of those things, uh, he's the real deal. And not only is he a great player, but just a really, really good person. And when you compare him, can you imagine the NFL next year could have four Alabama quarterbacks? It's unheard of. I can't even think of a team that had three. It would have been Jalen Hurts with Philadelphia, Mac Jones uh, 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 of New England, and Tua in Miami. And now Bryce Young probably going to Carolina. How does he compare to those other three NFL quarterbacks? You mean just as a player? Yes. No, I think think probably... uh, if you break them down, you know, Jalen's really not the kind of player that they are. Jalen Hurts. Uh, but I think Tua, Mack, and Bryce are m- much more similar in that they're really high-quality passers. Um, I-, I think when you look at them, though, I think Bryce and Mack are probably these, these two guys that, you know, they process information extremely quickly. I think Tua does, too. I think Tua's got this yeah, I remember one time Steve Sarkeesian said that Tua was the most instinctive player he had ever been around. You know, so that's kind of the, comparing and contrasting, you know, those three guys. They're both, you know, extremely high-quality passers, or they were here, and, uh, you know, certainly have that potential in the NFL. But Bryce is just so smart. I mean, he sees things very quickly. And I'll tell you this, too. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, he's 5'10 and a half or 5'10 and an eighth, whatever it was at the Combine. He's 200 pounds, but – uh, it, his size never impacted him here. I mean, it, it, it uh, you know, he's got that natural instinctive ability to find passing lanes, uh, to know where he's going with the ball, and he's extraordinarily accurate. So it now looks like there's a chance that Will Anderson, uh, the linebacker for the, the Crimson Tide, could go number two if Houston does not draft a quarterback. Talk a little about. We've heard about Will Anderson. He's won all the awards, the Nagurski awards. All the, tell us a little about Will Anderson when if he gets if he gets he's going to go in the top five. But if he goes number two, it's a little about him. Well, you know, Will's a lot like Bryce in, in terms of as a person. I mean, he's a great kid. He's an incredible person. I mean, he's a guy that when you get him in your organization. You're not going to have problems from him. I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to be like a face of your organization, the way he carries himself. Uh, you know, he's, obviously he's, he's very long. Uh, you know, he's probably – I don't know exactly what he measured at the combine, but he's, he's you know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's, he's a guy that's 253 pounds that ran a 4'6", 40. He's very athletic. He has a great first. That first step off the edge, it's not Derek Thomas great, but it's really close. I mean, he, he has a burst off the edge that, uh, that's pretty special. I mean, I compare him. I watched Micah Parsons a lot in college at Penn State. I mean, I think, he, I think uh, Will looks, in college at least, better than Micah looked in college. Well, <laughs> that's saying something because Micah Parsons obviously really, really good with the Cowboys. You know, I, maybe Micah might be a little more versatile than, than Will. Uh, you know, who knows? We'll see. But I, but I do think, uh, you know, certainly Will Anderson, extremely high quality. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, again, the, the tools that he brings, the work ethic that he brings, it, it's on a completely different level. 
Now, in terms of the, the Bama, when you have the first round of draft, you're going to get a lot of Bama. I see Brian Branch now being in top 15 uh, as a cornerback, one of the, at least one of the top two or three cornerbacks going in the first round. Tell us a little about Brian. Brian is an incredibly versatile player. He's a very smart player. He's very instinctive. And you know, when you say instinctive, people say, well, what do you mean? Brian Branch just knows how to play the game. Uh, you know, he's where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. He's a really physical player. He's a strong player, a lot of contact, uh, you know, just has a great feel for the game, makes plays. He bats balls in the air. You know, he, rush, when he, he can come off the edge as a rusher. He bats balls in the air, you know, intercepts him, uh, creates fumbles. Uh, Brian Branch is just a – I love Brian Branch. He's out of the state of Georgia. He's a guy that, you know, is a, is a junior, was a junior, decided to leave early. Uh, there's no question. Whoever gets Brian Branch, is, again, once again, they're getting a really high-quality player. And now the last Bama player I want to talk about is a little bit – we talk about their quarterbacks, but what about these – the running backs in, in you know that you have from Bama in terms of, I mean, Derrick Henry, and then you have uh, Josh Jacobs uh, and, and Najee Harris. I mean, all these great Alabama running backs in the NFL – now Jameer Gibbs, people thought, well, he's probably a second or third round, but now I see potentially Jameer Gibbs going in the first round. Yeah, Jameer Gibbs can do it all. He's kind of like Alvin Kamara in a lot of ways, very versatile. He's a speed guy, but he can run with some power. Uh, he's very elusive, catches the ball extremely well, very dangerous after the catch. He's a guy that he can take kick off 100 yards, you know, so he can return kicks for you, uh, kickoffs. Uh, he did not return any punts here at Alabama. I'm not sure if he did at Georgia Tech, but he's a very dynamic player. And I tell you, you know, you put him – There's, I saw some projections where maybe the Eagles might pick a running back or, or whatever, and uh, the, the, he could be a guy on their you know, radar. He would be a really good fit there, to, to be honest with you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think Jameer Gibbs is uh, – you know, he's, he's, he's very dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, Rodney, one last question before we let you go. I know you're pretty busy. Uh, you had the Alabama spring game this past weekend. Who's going to be this next? Like, we have four quarterbacks from Bama in the NFL. Who will be a starting quarterbacks? Who potentially could be the fifth starting quarterback in the NFL? Well, that's the number one question. You know, as you head into August camp, that's going to be the number one question. And right now, you know, again, uh, Jalen Milrow is a guy that's extremely athletic. And, and I know people might snicker at this, but I'm telling you, his athleticism rivals Lamar Jackson's. The, the, he's not a very consistent passer. He's still developing as a passer. I think Ty Simpson is, is his strongest competitor right now. Ty is a, a, a really good player. I think Ty has all the tools. I think Ty's a natural quarterback, makes all the throws. Uh, he's just got to become consistent. Um, and then you got a couple of freshmen that are competing as well. Uh, one name to remember, Dylan Lonergan, a true freshman. He was really composed in the spring game on Saturday. But, listen, uh, it's hard to predict, Ira, who's going to be the guy. Uh, but uh, if you want me to go out on a limb, I would say probably Milrow has the edge right now, slightly. But I think Ty Simpson has, has more potential as a quarterback. Well, that's great. Rodney, I love having you on the show to talk about Alabama because Alabama will always be in the top of the news because they're always going to be one of the top teams and they're always going to be producing the best players for the NFL draft. So thank you so much for coming on I Run Sports. Hey, I appreciate it. Take care. We're pleased to have Bill Ravinovitz of the Columbus Dispatch on the show, expert on Ohio State football. So, Bill, we're bringing you on to talk about some of these Ohio State first-round picks. And the first one is the one that everyone seems to be talking about today is C.J. Stroud. Is he going to go two? Is he going to go three? How far? But tell us a little about C.J. I mean, we've seen him. He's had a tremendous two years there at Ohio State. But tell us a little more about him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting story because he was a late bloomer in high school. Um, you know, his family life was, was really unsettled. His father ended up going to prison. Um, and so, you know, it was a tough childhood. You know, when he was young, it was a very idyllic childhood. And then when the family stuff happened, things kind of spiraled. His mom, is, I know, is a terrific lady um, that did a great job raising their family, but it was a struggle. And so he gets to Ohio State as a late bloomer and wins the job after sitting behind Justin Fields for a year. And for two years was was terrific. I mean, Heisman Trophy finalist both years. Uh, as good a passer as I've seen, kind of like Dwayne Haskins, but probably better um, and more mature in certain ways. And I mean, just, just really a, a terrific, terrific player. And 
you know, the NFL draft comes. He's mentioned as a potential number one pick after the combine. I think some of the betting sites had him as the favorite. Since then, I think it's shifted to Bryce Young. And then last week, there were these reports, over one in particular, that he had supposedly done poorly on a cognitive test. I talked to Ryan Day about it on Saturday because it didn't seem kind of I, – I mean, I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert, but that doesn't seem to be an issue with C.J. Stroud, the way he processes information, the way he sees the field, goes through his progressions. And, and Ryan Day, you know, not surprisingly, he's going to defend him, but was pretty vehement and like, you know, I don't know where this is coming from because C.J. is as good as there is anyone has ever, ever worked with in terms of being able to process information. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think he's going to go number one. Um, he has the same agent, I believe, as Deshaun Watson. And so I think Houston is is probably not keen to deal with the agent again. I, I would hate to think a team wouldn't take a player because of his agent, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, you know, my best guess is that he would go to the Colts at number four. I can't see him slipping much beyond that, but who knows? It's the NFL draft. Crazy things happen. You know, I don't think Justin Fields should have slipped to 11 two years ago, and he did. So I'm kind of out of the prediction game. <laughs> How does he compare to Justin in terms of, you know, you've seen both of them uh, the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I think he's a, a more polished passer. I think that he does um, go through his progressions better than Justin Fields does uh, or did, at least at Ohio State. Uh, he's not the runner Justin Fields is, uh, obviously. Uh, not a lot that anybody is. Uh, but he's he's mobile enough to, to find time in the pocket. And he admitted that, yeah, he should have run more at Ohio State. He was a very reluctant runner. The one time he really showed his willingness and effectiveness to do it was against Georgia. I think that, that Georgia game, even though Ohio State lost, made him a lot of money because it's, it showed uh, the critics that, yes, he can do some of the things that he'd been criticized for not doing. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I could mention him in comparison to Dwayne Haskins. I, they're different people, obviously, and what happened with Dwayne is obviously a tragedy. Um, I you know, but Dwayne has to do a beautiful ball. So, you know, at Ohio State, they're just a beautiful passer. And, and C.J. Stroud is like that. I mean, he, he makes throws that you just go, wow. I, mean, I did cover the NFL for 12 years, and C.J. Stroud, more than any quarterback at Ohio State I've seen, makes NFL throws. Yeah, you wonder if they make the field goal at the end of the game, they win that uh, game, they go to the national championship game, he's the, na- he's, you know, he's the national champion quarterback, would that have made a difference? You know, he beats TCU 60-7 to or whatever that score was, <laughs> and then it's completely different. Yeah, they make the field goal. I think there's little doubt in my mind, at least, that they would have beaten TCU. Um, the, the other player we're talking about is Paris Johnson. He looks to be the first offensive lineman off the board. Uh, people project him maybe some as high as seventh to Las Vegas. Tell us a little about Paris. Yeah, just a, a terrific human being. I mean, he, he set up a foundation as a high school student and he continues that at Ohio State. To, to, I mean, he's really done a lot of charity work. Um, as a player, I think... You know, I don't want to say he's a plug-and-play guy necessarily, but I think he's pretty close to that. I mean, he, he doesn't have any real weaknesses in his game. He's big, strong, fast, smart. Um, and, and I just – he was a five-star guy coming to Ohio State. He pushed for a job early. Uh, he played left or right guard as a sophomore because they just wanted to get him on the field, even though he's a natural left tackle. And he played very well last year. Um, you know, he's, he's still young. He's a third-year guy, so he's got some things to, to refine. But he is – I think a very safe pick. I think he'll be an above average pro for a long time. Now, people talk about Jackson Smith to Jimga, and after the success that Alave had and Garrett Wilson had, uh, the two players that he played with two years ago with Ohio State. Now he was did played very little this year, uh, but he but everyone's now projecting him to be the first wide receiver taken in the draft. Yeah, his, his 2000 or 2022 season was ruined by a hamstring injury. There was there was a lot involved with that. It was just it just didn't heal. Uh, and but uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will say that of the three of them, Jackson Fitajipa is the most talented. He's the best of the three. <laughs> and considering that Garrett Wilson just won Offensive Rookie of the Year and Chris Olave had a great year too, that's saying something. You know, funny thing is probably the best of all of them is Marvin Harrison Jr. And we'll talk about him next year. <laughs> we might talk about him number one next year in the draft. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think he'd be a top five pick this year, honestly. But Jackson Smith at Jigba, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. I mean, he's got the size is fine, his speed is fine. But what makes him special is his lateral quickness and just his route running ability, his hands. He's just so smart on the field and just his shiftiness. Is amazing. I don't, I don't. He's primarily been a slot receiver. I don't know how anybody, even in the NFL, as a safety or linebacker, 
is going to cover him in that slot. I think he's just a, a guy who's going to just make play after play after play. Um, he showed in the Rose Bowl against Utah when he caught, I think it was 15 passes for 300-something yards. It was just an insane performance, uh, what he can do. And so I, he'll be hungry because he didn't get to really play last year. Um, he'll be fun to watch in the pros. Is there any Ohio State player? I see like Zach Harrison down to the third round. Is there anybody that you've seen, you watch practices, games, everything. Is there a player that you said, boy, I think these NFL scouts are missing this one. Like I think in the pros, he's going to be a star. Well, I mean, I think that Zach Harrison is a guy who, who uh, I don't say the knock on him, but you know, he's a five-star guy and he's a local guy, so he's always under the spotlight. But his five-star status is mainly because of his potential. He's big and rangy and fast. And, you know, his stats aren't, aren't phenomenal. They're okay. <clears throat> but he was, he was a very good player for Ohio State. He just wasn't Chase Young, and that was kind of the, the hope. But, you know, there are very few Chase Youngs out there. Um, I think in the right system, used correctly, he can be a real force. I mean, I don't think he's a first-round pick. I don't think he'll be taken in the first round. But I think he has the ability to play like a first-round pick in the right system and use the right way. Um, another guy is Dewan Jones, who's just – played right tackle opposite Paris Johnson. He's just mammoth. He's 6'8", 360, 70 pounds. I mean, he's just to block out the sun, you know? And, and uh, you know, he's a former basketball player, so he's got pretty nimble feet. And because he was a basketball player, he's still a little raw as a football player. But if he if he continues to develop, boy, he's, he could be a really special player because he's just, he's just enormous. And, um, yeah. Bill, one last question in terms of we've had Justin Fields and we have C.J. Stroud. Who will the next quarterback – I mean, I'm a big Penn State <laughs> fan, so I want to know which, which, next, which is the next quarterback going to torment both Michigan and uh, – well, actually, not Michigan, but Penn State. Well, I think only Ryan Day knows, and I'm not sure Ryan Day knows. And, and if he does know, he's certainly not sharing. My guess it'll, is it'll be Kyle McCord. Uh, he's got a year uh, advantage. He's got one more year in the program compared to Devin Brown. Kevin Brown broke his pinky finger at the end of spring practice. That set him back a little bit. It's it's still considered to be too close to call. I would, but I would think, without knowing anything, you know, any inside information, that it's that it would be McCord. Um, and he's a five star guy. He was Marvin Harrison's teammate, and he was a higher rated recruit than Marvin Harrison was. So, um, you know, talent's not the issue. It's just you know he's inexperienced. He hasn't played a whole lot, and so. Uh, that's that's the learning curve that he'll face. But you know, as a third-year guy in the program, I don't think the learning curve would be that huge for him. Well, Bill, we've been talking to Bill Rabinovitz of the Columbus Dispatch. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and maybe we'll bring you back right when the season starts, getting ready for some college football in September. Sounds good. Always nice to be on with you. Thank you so much. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. As we mentioned earlier, pre-taping this show, Ira is in Miami tonight for the Heat game. And Ira, whenever we do this, we kind of get done and say. I really hope there's no breaking news because we got to be current with this stuff. And, of course, there was breaking news. It looks like the longest trade negotiation in history has wrapped up. Aaron Rodgers officially going to be a New York Jet. Yeah, and it looks like it's for a second-round pick this year. And then there's some swaths of picks, but really then a first or second next year. Probably if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of his snaps, it's a first. So it's a second and a first, which when it was announced that Aaron Rodgers would be traded, I think that people thought that the Packers were going to get a lot more and the Jets were going to have to give a lot more. So if you're a Jets fan, I think this is a win for, for the Jets. Yeah, and I don't think it, that they gave up too much. There was talks that it was going to be multiple firsts. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of Jets fans think that this is, you know, Super Bowl season. I don't know. I, I think he's probably the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the AFC. I don't know if I can buy into the Jets hype. Well, I think right now the Jets are so – the hype is there. The hype, They want to make this trade. And, and I think the nervousness that people had was that something could happen where this wouldn't work out, where someone could come in and swoop it. The fact that it was rumored, rumored – we've never seen a rumor like this ever. But the fact that it didn't get done, sometimes it just would die as a – the trade would die. But the fact is now it's done. Rodgers is a Jet. Jets fans are happy. Let's get caught up on some golf. Uh, the Zurich is in the books. I can't say I've ever heard of either of these winners, but I think there was a big winner this weekend in Live Golf. Well, Davis Riley and Nick Hardy, they have this duel where the teammates, and, and really none of the, very few of the stars, went to the tournament, and uh, they've tried to push this in. I mean, Liv has the team concept, which that's what they're pushing. This is the only team concept in the PGA. But Liv had, I think, you would argue, say their best weekend because Definitely. huge crowds in Australia. Tyler Gooch had a 62 and a 62. He had a 10-shot lead that he almost lost at the other three rounds. But I think the question, you know, Patrick Reed, 
finished third, Cam Smith finished third, DJ finished tenth. But when you see it on TV now, I know Greg Norman's from Australia. There is some popularity with that. But the fact is that Liv said we're going to bring golf to areas that don't have that. And when you see those enormous crowds and coming up on the 18th green, I think that for people to say, well, no one goes to Live Golf, I think that changes the narrative a little bit. It was $100 a day, more expensive than the Honda Classic, and they were packed out in, in Australia. So good things for Liv. I know we want to talk a little boxing because there was a big fight over the weekend. Yeah, Gavante Davis, uh, two, uh, KO'd Ryan Garcia. These were both undefeated lightweights. This was one of the most uh, anticipated matches. And Davis had a, this was a huge win. I mean, it was great to have this finally there. I mean, I don't think the build-up could have been that great, but but it was, Davis had, this was huge for him. It was a big win. The next big boxing match is on May 6th, which is the same day as the Kentucky Derby and the same day as the- Bad form, timing. Yeah, bad timing, whatever. <laughs> but Canelo Alvarez is, is who is, is the best, in my mind, the best boxer fighting is, play, is fighting John Ryder. Of course, the odds on this is 1450 favorites. So don't look to be betting to anyways a heavy favorite to win. I mean, Alvarez fights, but really he's so dominating, it's hard to find someone that's going to match up against him. You, you mentioned uh, the Kentucky Derby. We're just about two weeks away. And I, I hate when there's a massive favorite because it kind of tanks the betting. You know, he's going to draw a lot of the money. And you don't want to try to pick second and third because it's such it's a 20-horse field. Forte looks like a monster. It's really hard to beat 19 other horses. I don't know what's going to happen here. Well, Forte's a 5-2 to two favorite. He's won the Breeders' Cup Junior Juvenile, the Fountain of Youth, the Florida Derby. Uh, from everything, it seems like it's one of those horses that the bloodlines look perfect. I mean, you have Mr. from Mr. Prospector, who seems to have everybody, one of the greatest uh, sires or whatever, uh, his great-grandfather. Uh, Seattle Slough was one of his great-grandmothers, which is pretty good. Great trainer at Todd Pletcher. Rod Ortiz is his jockey. It just seems like the favorite. It's something would have to be terribly happen at the Kentucky Derby, you know, getting tied up in some something that would not let him win the Kentucky Derby. But then you have Angel Empire who won the Arkansas Derby, tap it twice, is 11 to 1 in Bluegrass, uh, a horse from the UAE Derby. Derma, this is the craziest name, Durta Sogagaki, which I, I which hopefully get Brittany Erton and who can explain how to predict <laughs> that. And practical move, uh, 14 to 1 who won the Santa Neva, Nina Derby. But what you're saying is that's the challenge you're going to have Forte as always going to be. And if Forte isn't in the money, then you just, that everybody's going to lose their bets because every, you can't have a, you can't have a bet without putting Forte Forte in, you know, your top three. Ira, what are you up to this week? Uh, heat game tonight. And if the Heat win tonight and then win on Wednesday, then they're advanced the next round. If they lose Wednesday or if they lose tonight and they would come back to Miami, they, there's no way they can lose this series in uh, Milwaukee. But they could come back if they lose and play a Friday night in Miami. So I might see a, night, a game tonight and then a game Friday. Want to thank so much uh, Rodney Orr and Bill Rubinowitz for stopping by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.